Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening and subscribing to Behind the Screen. I am your host, JT Kane, and I'm here with my good friend, Matt Corey, who is the producer of Behind the Screen, and we are here to talk to you about auditions, you know, specifically orchestra auditions, which, as you know, take place behind the screen, hence the name Behind the Screen. And we just hope that our discussions and our guests will be a resource and an inspiration for anyone who is currently taking auditions or really just uh, interested in the audition process or really just interested in our kind of amazing guests. I think that's that's the draw, isn't it? Definitely the draw. And Definitely. also I'd like to, to say hello to your mother who hey, we Mom. found out is a listener of the program. My mom does listen to the program. She loves it. Eric, we were talking about this a couple episodes ago, and JT didn't even know if his parents <laughs> listened to the program or not. Mm. I didn't know because she never specifically told me that she listened to it, and I never asked. I didn't want to presume that my mom listens to it, but, you know. Well, we I, need clicks, so keep listening, moms. Yeah, keep listening. Share it with your friends, mom. <laughs> I don't know how many friends she has. I'm assuming she has friends. This podcast is brought to you by Insight for the Blind, a very special recording studio based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where over 100 volunteers produce talking books and magazines for the blind and physically handicapped so that all may read. See for yourself at insightfortheblind.org. Thank you uh, to Insight for the Blind. Thank you, Matt, for running such a, an amazing organization. Matt is the CEO of Insight for the Blind. For those of you that didn't know, Eric, I don't know if you knew that. I did not. That's yeah. great. I guess you knew Matt go way back. Yeah, but I did not know that, Eric. <laughs> yeah, he he let that slip somehow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we do have a very special guest today on behind the screen. I want to welcome Eric Ripple. Welcome, Eric. Thanks very much for having me, JT. This is awesome. I'm really glad that you could be here. For those of you that are wondering, who is Eric Ripple? Eric is the principal timpani of the Minnesota Orchestra. And was Eric and I go way back um, to our days at New World Symphony. How's it going in Minnesota? It's great. Uh, the leaves are turning. It is like 50 degrees out, oh. which is okay for me. It's okay for Minnesota. It I is guess. okay. It's actually a really great day when it's 50 degrees. But yeah. yeah, we are kind of preparing for this grand winter that, you know, every winter here is very grand. And it's going to last six months. So with this pandemic and all the unrest going on throughout yeah. the world, it'll be uh, interesting how um, we all deal with it mentally. Because I think that's sure. a huge thing. That's a huge thing that uh, everyone's realizing is like mental health is a very big concern. Yeah, because I think even in, in a regular year, you guys uh, in the winter, it gets pretty, pretty crazy there, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, People still will go out to restaurants or bars and go see concerts. I remember my second month starting this job, we had a concert of the Bizet Symphony in C. I'd never heard of it. And that's it's actually a real very, draw. That's not his most famous <laughs> piece. And uh, it was negative 40. Holy I think it, Yeah, it was really cold. And like, you know, nobody could walk outside. It was a hazard to walk outside. And the audience showed up. We still had a concert, and the audi the freaking audience showed up. It was crazy. Good job, audience. <laughs> yeah, that's that's killer. That's diehard. Yeah. Was it, hey, was that like two two some or two winters ago when they had that polar vortex? Yes, it was. I, I had moved in late December, uh, the previous late December, December of eighteen, and it was like there were like three polar vortexes in a few weeks or something. I was in Detroit in February. 
of that polar vortex. So February, I guess, yeah, 20, it would be 2019, I think. It must yeah. have been. Yeah, it was cold. I had two jackets on, and I remember I, I walked to the bar, uh, not to a bar, I walked to a liquor store in order to get some some booze for my room because, you know, it's cheaper that way. And I mm-hmm. literally almost froze my testicles off. <laughs> hey, Eric, I've only ever experienced as low as I think, like minus two degrees. Is there, I feel like once you get to that cold, like minus 40 is it substantially different than like zero degrees? Can you tell? Yes. Like on a day that's zero and then that's minus 40 or... Yeah. I mean, your your body chemistry, everything, your, your mentality changes uh, when you hit zero. But then zero is kind of a standard. So once you adapt to that in all sorts of facets, that's kind of like, oh, I'll, you know, zero degrees. I'll, you know, be able to walk around and do normal things but negative 20 is like god this is a real pain you know and then negative 40 is like why do we live here why does anyone live here it's like not <laughs> meant for humans it's not <laughs> that's funny man because i actually felt like that at zero i can tell you though when i was in detroit okay it was like negative 40 it was freezing and then when i was leaving a few days later maybe three days later um and i was outside waiting for my uber to go to the, the airport, it was like negative 10 and it was gorgeous. Right. I had taken off one of my coats and I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. it, it does. It, it really does kind of mess with you. It's, it's crazy. People here will still be committed. I mean, no matter how cold to be going out and doing stuff, it's just a fact of life. And, you know, we have all these outdoor activities we can do uh, in the winter, and I play hockey, and I love skating outside. So skating yeah. on lakes is like a is a great new thing. I've I did a little bit growing up, but uh, I I'm gonna seriously take advantage of this winter because of the pandemic and getting outside more. You're from Minnesota, right? I am from Minnesota. I was born in Minneapolis, and I grew up in a small town uh, three hours west of Minneapolis. So, yeah, totally Minnesota. So let's let's get to why we're here, and let's talk about some auditions. You know, uh, I can't imagine. Oh, I we've had actually. Um, we just had uh, Emma Gerstein on, who is second flute of Chicago Symphony. She grew up in Chicago. We had a, 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 a Rebecca Oliverio mm-hmm. uh, was on the, sh- and she she didn't grow up in Chicago, but she went to school in Northwestern. And now plays with Chicago Lyric, so there is kind of it's kind of interesting. I love I love that I you know that you can be in your hometown and actually play with your hometown orchestra. How does that feel? I mean, seriously, every day I think about how miraculous, how impossible this is to to be doing this in my hometown, to be doing this this crazy career. I mean, this just. You know, we got to be out out with it how risky and kind of ridiculous it is to try to attempt to make it in this career. And then to do it in your hometown. And if your hometown has a really world-class, great orchestra, that's even more unlikely. And so I, I constantly am thinking about that. I don't think I'll ever get off that high of playing with this group, this great group in my yeah. hometown. That's awesome. It really is. So let's talk about the, 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 the audition. So first of all, let's talk about just like timpani auditions in general. I have not yet had the privilege of running a, a timpani audition. 
or a percussion audition for that matter. But how is a timpani audition run? Because I know there are different types of timpani that people play, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Give me, give me the examples of, of a couple. What are, I don't even know. There are many ways it can be run. I think the most possibly standard or kind of accepted way to do it is to have two sets of timpani, an American mm-hmm. set and a German set. Okay. And uh, I, ideally, they're identical. They're exactly the same, same heads, same qualities. So what's the difference between an American and a German? So the American setup is just basically where the lowest drum is and, and, and ascending, uh, the other three drums ascending. And okay, so, it's, so it's set up. So the drums itself themselves are the, are the same. It's just the way that they're set up is different. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. okay, that's cool. Who knew? That's it. Yeah. So the lowest for the, for American set, the lowest drum is on the left, and then they get higher as you go to the right. And then for German, the lowest drum's on the right, and the drums get higher. Is that because the they left. drive on the on the opposite side of the road there as well? <laughs> what's the <laughs> I think, What's the reason? Do you, is there a reason behind it? Gosh, I I mean, like I think it's pretty much that the right hand is you know being the dominant hand mm-hmm. can go to the lowest drum, which needs more oomph more beef sometimes to uh all right yeah that makes sense bang out the lower end but there's probably a more sophisticated reason which i used to know and now i can't remember but i mean that's basically (laughs) that's basically uh part of it what do you play american or german american american like schooling when you go into college or or, you know you want to be a professional tippity player is it like a european way of teaching they they do german and here in the states we do american or is it just based on the teacher preference is it based on student with their abilities yeah i'd say you know one funny thing about this career is that we all we all are kind of obsessed with lineage i mean it's kind Mm -hmm. of inherent in what we do um so Knowing your teacher's teachers is like a huge thing for timpani and percussion, but really timpani, it's pretty huge. Um, What school did, you know, was it from New York, Philadelphia, or Cleveland? In America, those are kind of the bigger sort of schools, mainly New York and Cleveland. And then in Europe, it's primarily German style. Um, There are a few offshoots of that. But uh, yeah, we have some German players here in America. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, there's one way to do things for sure. I, I certainly have my preferences, but uh, when a German player plays for me or I listen to a German player, I'm not like, oh, pff, how, could yeah. they, how could they do that? So we had Nathaniel uh, Silberschlag on here, who's the, who the principal horn of, of Cleveland Orchestra. We were talking about two different types of horns, and I can't, off the top of my head, can't remember them, but like some orchestras play in one certain way of, of, of horn sound and other orchestras play in, in a different way. And when you go to that orchestra, a lot of, a lot of players will actually accommodate, they'll, they'll practice on whatever horn that orchestra plays on to have that type of sound. Is there, do orchestras do that in, for timpani? Is that a thing? Or am I just kind of overthinking this? I'd say because timpani is so singular that you can have a different approach than your predecessor. In America, at least, there's. I think you can win playing American or German. Although American is kind of more widely accepted. What if you have? What if you have a European conductor? Again, maybe I'm overthinking this. I don't know, but it just for me, it's 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 so it's. I don't know. It's super interesting. It is interesting. We all think about it. Uh, it's it's not so much the way. So there's the German American setup where the lowest drum is. Nobody really cares about that. 
Okay. No, no conductor, no uh, percussionist in the orchestra. Nobody. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a well. I mean, that's a minimal yeah. concern. The type of playing German or American can really matter to the percussionist and to the general sound of the orchestra. I think the conductor really only cares about if it's plastic or calf or natural skin. That's the biggest thing they're concerned about, along with obviously all the musical capabilities sure, you must yeah. need. Yeah. But, so there's there's a different technique that um, that you have in a sound depending on if it's if it's plastic or, or calf skin or something like that. And do you do you use? I mean, so baroque playing, let's say baroque timpani, that's completely different, right? Mm-hmm. Much smaller instruments, and you can use goat skin, which is another level of incredibly temperamental skins oh, amazing, uh, to yeah. deal with. Yeah. So we we did handle Messiah and if I have my say that'll be the last time I ever play that. But uh <laughs> it won't it won't be. <laughs> you know it won't be. <laughs> yeah we'll see. Um, but <laughs> but uh so the three movements you play on, yeah, they, they go quite out of tune and, and they're they're oh, hand yeah. cranked so you have to screw each individual screw, not just one screw like it normally is on a modern symphony. Mm-hmm. They provide, you know, a warmer quality and, and sort of a darker, warmer, more maybe like pure, some people would say, yeah. quality. And so I think conductors really care about that. But some conductors also don't care they, they couldn't care less because they just want to hear good sound you know, on time, great, you know, musical right, yeah. thinking and all that, you know, from a timpani. Sure. So let's talk about, so your audition for, for Minnesota Orchestra, was it behind a screen? Yes, the entire thing was behind a screen until the trial. Until the trial. How many rounds was it? I it took the audition basically a few times. Uh, the first time I had to make a recording. So if you call that a round, I got past that. And then there were three more rounds after that. And then there was a trial round. So were they all, I mean, did you have to, go back were they all in one day other than the recording round i mean when you showed up there your prelims semis finals all in you know the same time frame or, or was it It was it was not the same day um the first time i took the audition was spring of 16 okay and it was spaced the prelims were over two days the semis were maybe one day by themselves and the finals were one day by themselves that first time i only got to semis and then i was hacked and that's the way it is. But then uh, there was a second chance. There happened to be a second chance after that. I do remember, you know, when you were at New World, you took a number of auditions, as as everybody does. Um, and we all, we talk a lot about on here how you overcome those really big losses. It's so hard to get to that point where it's you're almost there because you've had you've had trials with a couple of orchestras. Mm-hmm. And it just, how, how do you handle, how do you deal with that emotional toll that it can take on you when, when you know, either you get cut in the prelims or you, you get to the finals or a trial and then they're, they're not the one. Well, how, do you, how do you handle that? It's extremely taxing. It's exhausting. It's really uh, disheartening and heartbreaking. I'd say that you have to have some sort of, certainly thick skin to deal with it, but you also have to have defense mechanisms already in place yeah for instance i always plans like a little vacation or like a few days after an audition no matter what the result was mm-hmm. to do whatever i want to do if I, I go see something different or i go somewhere else try something new because there's such routine and such strict discipline needed all the way up to the audition for the most part so i i'd say that you have to kind of be ready for any results kind of i like for Minnesota, my home state, I was actually visualizing me losing 
in the first round, mm. second round, uh, getting the trial, getting runner-up, or getting the job. And I visualized all those results and remember that I had to reinforce that I will be okay with all those results. I will still be happy. I am happy I'm a musician. And even if you take it as far to complete failure, you don't make it as a musician, you'll still be happy. It's still, it's a worthwhile experience. Yeah. It made me a better person and I developed skills and I can apply those somewhere else. So basically, I, you know, maybe some of that's phony. Maybe that's BS, but for the time being, I kind of convinced myself that I'd be happy no matter what the result, even though I was trying as hard as I could to win. Well, that's fine. I mean, that's, I, mean, I think that's great. Everybody's got their own technique, their own way of, of handling things, right? Mm-hmm. How did you, like specifically for uh, Minnesota, how did you prepare differently or did you prepare differently for that? I don't want to bring up any, no, let's, let's talk <laughs> any past. Because everything. Everything. Let's do it. It's it's important. I think, you know, you you did take like so I, I went through I, I looked up some of, of the records when you were at, at New World and some of the time offs that you had. And you had a there were some okay, I'm gonna name these are big these are big orchestras. Seattle, you had yeah. a trial with, Houston Symphony, New Jersey Symphony you had trial with, Toronto and Pittsburgh. Five major orchestras, which only can say I think that it just shows how how good you are because you were in those auditions and you and you and you reached the level that that you had trials with them. But given given what you went through with with these with these orchestras versus what you went through with like Minnesota where you actually did win, what do you think there was a difference? Honestly, for the record, I didn't have trials with Houston or Pittsburgh, but I took the Sorry. Houston audition and I I didn't even take Pittsburgh actually. It ended up because I Oh, one Minnesota, but I was preparing for it as if Got I was going to take it. But okay. my records are, are are incorrect. I apologize. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Anyone who knows me and knows my record keeping knows that that's actually very common. No, it was it was a crazy time though. It was a lot happening at once for me. So I'd say the Minnesota trial was my fourth trial. I'd been in a number of finals, but as far as trials, I had the New World Symphony. And that was very uh, informative. I forgot about. It. I should. I should never forget about the New World Symphony. The New World Symphony yeah. trial. That's a serious trial. I mean, that I, is a. Yeah. You know. I remember that audition. It's intense. Um, so that certainly qualifies. And Seattle was the second one, and then New Jersey was the third one later that year, and then Minnesota came after that. Each of those trials, I got better at knowing myself and knowing how to prepare and sort of basically balancing myself into this sort of perfect circle of interpretation. I, I like to think of sort of interpreting as a sort of balance that can be found in this perfect circle. Interesting. I have my tendencies, they could be too high energy or too low energy or ingenuine energy or just, you know, like I always found that I need to, I need to like somehow focus it into the center a little bit more. That's yeah, that's really interesting. So Eric, explain. So in these trials, how how long is the trial? Is it is it just a week or is it multiple weeks? They do it differently. So each each audition, each trial can be very different. So like the New World Symphony trial was just play excerpts with the orchestra for thirty minutes. Seattle Symphony and New Jersey were similar, and I played a week, and then within that week, I played extra uh, excerpts with the orchestra. Okay. Uh, Minnesota was a little bit more thorough. There was two weeks in a row, and I played a bigger list of excerpts with the orchestra uh, within mm-hmm. those two weeks. 
And the two weeks were really intense weeks. In a trial, you're not only being uh, kind of judged on your playing, but you're also being kind of judged on your personality. You know, people are coming up talking to you because you mentioned you might have too high energy, too low energy. And you also, what was the other one you said? You said too in, indifferent or? Ingenuine. Ingenuine. Uh, yeah. I, like, that's, that's, that's fascinating to me because we all know people that you can tell are not sincere are not genuine. Mm-hmm. And what, so what do you think that was? What do you th- was it just you trying to be someone you're not? I'd say the biggest thing I learned from the Seattle trial, which I didn't get, and I was, I was extremely, extremely upset about. But I, I mean, thinking about auditions, you should never get that upset about any sort of result because there can be weird reasons for everything. But um, I think I was not totally being myself or I was maybe I was trying to showcase or I was mm-hmm. trying to yeah. prove a point. And instead of just being a great musician or focusing on more simple things, I think we, tr- we, we, in the nature of our craft, we have to try hard to impress and we want to be the best and, yeah. you know, our standards like this. And so we are constantly trying to impress and that can lead to some ingenuine results and ingenuine personal yeah. traits. That's like a big backfire, mm-hmm. essentially. So we, <laughs> I love that you say this because we've had a number of, of our guests that talk about basically there's only so much you can control, right? Mm-hmm. And so you go to a place, you show them what you've done, your preparation, you show them what you can do, and then it's it's up to someone else to make the decision. At that point, it's you, you have no control over it. So when you go there, when you go to do a trial and you're, and you're playing, you can only be who you are. Because anything else, like you said, is is disingenuous. It's not true. It's not to who you're going to be. And then ending up, you know, if you get that job, are you going to be happy? Are you, do you have to keep that kind of facade up the whole time? Because that's the person they hired. So and then what are you going to do? Right. I, I'm very bad at uh, uh, lying and uh, trying to be... That was a huge thing for me to get over. Uh, my, my faults I had to embrace. And instead of trying to make them... Like instead of trying to avoid them or trying to make them too uh, too much of a priority of some sort, so I, I think uh, for me I'm pretty goofy. I, I what we love about you, man. Well, I hope so because I <laughs> that's not going away, and uh, I, I I like to embrace lighthearted humor throughout very serious circumstances. I mean, whether it's in work or anything else, I like yeah. to have a lighthearted joke here and there. Yeah, and it's good. You bring levity. I hope so, and. Um, that's one thing, and uh, yeah, like I talked about with like energetic playing, um, I had to really gauge how to bring that towards the center and more, I don't mean like there's a left and a right and it needs to be in the center. I mean, just like more like there's also an up and down. It's, it's really a whole sort of sphere um, yeah. I tried to work on with that. And for the Minnesota trial, I think I was, yeah, it was my fourth trial, so I'd had some practice at yeah. that. And the New Jersey one went well, too, because I'd learned so much from the loss of Seattle. I think it's very necessary to lose, and I think it's a great, you know, opportunity to regain strength and, and come back, you know, after some sort of, you know, grieving from losing, you can uh, rebuild the strength to uh, learn and, and continue on. And so I think that was necessary, actually. Eric, you mentioned something that kind of resonated with me and I don't think I've ever heard it put in that particular way about when you're playing and and almost trying to impress and 
you're changing the way you play because you're trying to to almost say, look at me, look how good I am. I'm just curious. I know that the idea of doing that is something that I've wrestled with too as a musician, but I'm curious as a timpanist specifically, how might that manifest in your playing? Good question. Yeah, there are many uh, parts that I think, you know, it's a singular instrument. So there certainly is sort of a kingly, queenly, regal feeling because you're, you're the boss of your own section, sort of. Of course, it's a democratic institution. There are a lot of people and it's very nerve wracking because you have to please the people to your right, to your left, to your bottom left, the, to the podium, to the audience. Everyone has a different opinion about one single note. Right. There, there could be a vast variety of opinions just because of placement of where everyone is. Basically, if you think you're really important all the time, or if you think you're really important in a moment where you're not important, that can really come off poorly. I'd say studying your score is absolutely the most crucial thing you can do as a timpanist. And it's still something I, I continue to work on, how to study scores and how much to study. And why should I play more here? It's only marked forte. Should I play forte plus or forte minus? And why should I do that? There's a bit of showmanship in timpani too. Uh, everyone plays a little differently and we're all a little bit too critical of how we stroke the instrument. Everyone's really concerned about visual elements. And I'd say, mm -hmm. you know, one of my greatest uh, mentors said a lot to me, it looks better than it sounds. And that's, that really like, that kind of thinking really like brings you back to like, try to maintain pure musicianship and not some sort of show off, like not try to impress too much. Try, just try to be more pure about the process and how you display your technique. I think that's incredibly helpful for people to hear, particularly, I mean, not just in the solo instruments, but in the, the section instruments too. Like, I think sometimes there's a feeling that you only have a limited amount of time to show what you can do. So you've got to do something that's above and beyond what's expected or what's on the page. And coming to that realization and what you shared with us about not doing that, I think is, is something that people should really highlight and write down and remember because it could really sink you, I think. I really had a major breakthrough once I started taking auditions and realizing that, you know, there's so much theory and hypothesizing about what do they want? What is it that they're going for? And I'll be honest, there's not a consistent answer for that. And it's very frustrating that there isn't a, you know, mathematical equation for this. But uh, certainly doing what's on the page and doing it with conviction, character, and maybe and just like a touch of your own spice or your own flavoring um, without getting clownish, um, without being apathetic, finding that middle ground again, I keep like that perfect circle and during that perfect circle, I think is, is so crucial. And basically that's only gained through experience, through recording, playing for people, playing for auditions, and you, you gain more perspective that way. For all of your auditions, did you listen specifically to each orchestra that you were, you were going to audition for to kind of get like an idea of their sound and how they played? Yeah, I try to whenever it's possible. The New Jersey Symphony, I don't think has recordings or many recordings out mm -hmm. um seattle definitely does minnesota absolutely does um and houston pittsburgh yeah definitely learning kind of what is the general vibe of that group 
we're talking about you know um, bringing your own taste, bringing your own flair to something. Do you think it's beneficial to play like how they always play, or do you think it's? Do you really think that it's it should be your playing, and they will you know if if you're if you're going to bring something to to the organization and pique someone's interest, then it should be what it is that you bring, and not trying to copy what someone else has already brought. I don't think I could put it better, actually, because uh, there are actually specific moments where, you know, in a recording, the musicians themselves mm-hmm. sometimes don't have a say how something is interpreted. Like, they don't have a say in the tempo. The conductor obviously decides the tempo. But in an audition, if you decide, like, okay, so Minnesota took it at, like, 127. I'm going to have to play it at 127. <laughs> they, they, they could very well say, like, well, that's too fast, right, actually. right. And so I couldn't understand what you're doing. It's not clear enough because I was too fast and I don't know why you did that. And you're like, well, because this is a recording, I did my study. See, I'm a good student. Let's look at me. And it's like, nobody cares. It, it, like if, <laughs> you know, they just want to hear clear, great playing um, and whatever tempo it is, is. I think you actually, even even in that sentence said the downfall that anyone can say, look at me, I'm a good student. Okay, great. Well, then go study. I want a professional. Exactly. A professional would decide that it's necessary to slow this down or it's you know it's better if this is a little bit faster you know yeah. it's not based on purely what does this orchestra do um there's for for the timpanists out there it's it's a good example for anyone but um there, there's a Mahler five first movement timpani solo it's the main motive at the top of the movement mm-hmm. um it's just soft and mysterious and in the minnesota orchestra recording this is the second time the second time I took the audition, and this is one of the things that didn't quite get me a trial. So I was really pissed off about this. <laughs> Wait, didn't get you a trial the, the first time or, or the second time? The second time. The second time I didn't get a trial either, but I was like on the waiting list. So right. Oh, for a trial. Real, before, you, before you go on, <laughs> you know, we'll, maybe we could come back to that. But that is a very fascinating story that, that I think you need to tell because... yeah. I mean, I I know the story, but I want you to tell it. But but continue on with your with your thought here, real quick. I was going to say, damn, I don't know the story. It's a good story. <laughs> well, I'll yeah, for this excerpt, um, I was it was the final round. Uh, there were like seven of us left, and it was still behind the screen. It couldn't see us, and uh, it was this Mahler five bit. I listened to the recording. They just released a recording like recently. So I was like, oh, so it's fresh in their minds. They know every little thing and like, stupid. No, they, I mean, like recordings can go so many different ways. So, but they decided to not do a tradition. They decided to play something straight, whereas usually you slow down into a cadence. So they decided to play it straight in the recording. So me being studently i was like well i will play it straight because the minnesota orchestra deems it so and this was osmo vanska conducting the recording right and he was in your trial and i mean in your in the finals he was in the finals yeah so you would think that he would he would know that as someone who did the recording standing on the podium he's probably aware that they didn't slow down in this spot you're thinking i'm thinking yeah and, and he probably liked that i also played it straight but everyone else thought well, I think you should slow down or it would be more clear if you slow down or you showcase more musicianship. All the good reasons to do a little cadencing off with uh, tempo. Um, and perhaps he was 
he liked how, the way I played it, but he's actually only one vote right. in the final. And, um, you know, different orchestras have, operate that differently. A music director can have complete control of the audition, or they can only be one vote or two votes. Uh, yeah, yeah, depending um, on, the, on their CBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the things that uh, some people didn't like. And there was, like, one other thing, and that, that like, got me to fourth place. Okay. Whereas before, I was, like, in the top, you know, few. And so... That's that's so, sort of what did it for me that time. What you're saying is that don't listen specifically to recordings because they're they're produced um, by a producer and there may not necessarily be something that is, in fact, a reality of of tradition. Yes, I think uh, you know listening to the bands how it generally plays, uh, like Pittsburgh and Minnesota are more extrovert play, uh, orchestras in my opinion, okay. and with. Uh, Minnesota, I don't think anyone would be offended that the principals actually have a lot more personality. Uh, like, they're, they're willing to showcase personality. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely with energy. So that is like kind of general information, like, okay, you see a fortissimo, bring it. Like, really, don't, don't try to... Obviously, there's a threshold, but uh, if, you're, if you don't bring it, it's going to be an issue. Yeah. Th- that's the kind of general thing I get from recordings when I listen to an orchestra for an audition. All right. So let's, let's talk about this. Now you're, you've done your, your finals. And so you're in, you you said you were on the waiting list. Tell everybody listening how, how this all came about. Cause it is, it is a fascinating story. Right. Well, uh, so this, this is the second time this uh-huh. is happening. Um, second audition for the Minnesota orchestra finals, I guess finals, seven of us. And, we're all waiting, and then I hear that I didn't get a trial. I hear that three other people got a trial. And I go to get some beers with uh, some of the committee members, who are now my colleagues, and some of the other tr- uh, finalists. Mm-hmm. And they tell me there that, like, oh, you kind of had a trial, actually, but we kind of revoked it. And I was like, oh, well, why, why did that happen? And there were two reasons, and I probably... Basically, they, they only had a number of weeks to offer, and they didn't want to have a fourth trialist. Okay. And then they said, well, should we hear them again, those four people? And then uh, they decided not to. So I was really yeah. quite, quite amazingly uh, screwed out of that deal. And I can say this now with confidence and a smile on my face, luckily, but... Uh, <laughs> But back then it was it was devastating. Sure, and that's I was, that's yeah. Oh my god, I'm like I, I feel it in my stomach. Yeah. Okay, so three people get offered a trial. You come back to New World. Three people have a trial. What happened? Why are you in Minnesota and they aren't? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I mean you can't. Okay, let's wait. We we obviously we don't know what, but but these three people had had a trial, and it was then determined that they didn't want either one of these three. And we're not going to say who these three people are, obviously. And they're all great players because you know because they were there. I mean they they had trials, so they they had their trial weeks, and neither one of them got an offer. Right, and. Just for more of a timeline perspective, so that was the beginning of 17, September of 17. Those three got trials. I'm out. And I'm, I'm, I put it away. Like, that's, that's it. That's whatever. That's over. One of those three is going to get it because they're so good. I know all of them. They've got a lot of experience. I know they're playing. They could definitely 
get this gig, one of those three. So that's done. I do some other stuff throughout the year. And their two weeks, each of their two weeks of trialing are spread throughout the entirety of the season of 1718. And uh, I found out that all three of them were disqualified or none of them got the gig right as I'd finished my New Jersey trial. I was literally going to the airport, LaGuardia, as I found out that all three of them didn't get the gig. And I was like, how could that be? What could have, I mean, cause they're all magnificently qualified yep. and good people. Like, I mean, I, I would never have yeah. thought they'd do a no hire from that. So they did a no hire <laughs> and I knew I was fourth on the list, but I was like, they're obviously, you know, they'll have another audition yeah. cause they, cause they just want to do it by the book. Right. But because I had had the votes for a trial and I, and I think also what it helped is I had done well at other auditions like Seattle and New Jersey, they decided to just give me a trial uh, outright. And that was going to be in the fall of 18. So you get a phone call, an email saying, hey, like, hey, remember <laughs> us? <laughs> was this like a year later? About, uh, yeah, it about was, nine months, uh, right? Something like that? It was the end of their season. It was the end of everyone's season, late June like a few days after I'd found out they did a no hire, I got an email saying, Mr. Dorkshire would like to offer you like this, this trial. Uh, would you like to do it? <laughs> I was like, okay. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, wait, but, but so, so you get this email in and they say like, how long did you have? Like we'd love to, we, we want to give you a two week trial. Uh, it's, it's, you know, w w you said it was June. Yeah. I was actually in the airport in Indianapolis when I got this email and I literally like dropped to my knees in front of the shuttle service lady. Like I was like, I cannot, you gotta be kidding me. I almost, I almost like passed out. I was like, this is crazy. This can't be. So that was in late June and they didn't decide the repertoire what weeks I'd be playing. So it was like another, I don't know, three weeks until I found out the repertoire. And so that was about a couple months and it, my trials were in October. That was like two, months or so to prepare. So how was that trial where you, did you look at it as a bonus? Like, oh, they didn't hire the other three. Like, I'm just gonna let it rip. Or did you go into it feeling like, I really have a good chance at this? No, I didn't think I have a good chance. I was absolutely like on guard, taking care of every little corner of each, mm -hmm. each of the pieces to make sure that it's not too extrovert, not too introvert, not too much of this, too much little of that. Uh, really examining every aspect of my playing because I thought, you know, obviously they disqualified all these three. They could easily do that to me because they're they have a they have a thing they want or a standard or yeah. they have you know right. so that I easily could just be under that. Did you have any idea of the reasons? Were there were there any clue that that you were given that could that helped you out? I was wondering that too. I know each of the three people and I know. They're sort of playing, they're teachers, but there really isn't one thing yeah. I was thinking about that was like, oh, maybe they did that. No feedback. So you'd reach out that. to any of the three, be like, hey, what? maybe they all, all used too hard of a mallet. It could have, <laughs> it, it could have, it really could have been like, play this too loud, play this too soft. Yeah, it's crazy. Didn't look, look, looked at the conductor, didn't look at the conductor, um, plays a certain way, doesn't play a certain way. It's literally, I, I had no idea. Yeah. I, I just, I, only could guess what it could be. But uh, again, I, I think I'm super grateful that I had these previous trials because it sort of rounded out my playing. 
Mm-hmm. And also the, the sort of foreign, crazy feeling of walking into an orchestra and playing with them, and especially a great orchestra. Um, I, I was kind of like, okay, I've done this a few times now. So Had you, had you ever subbed with them previously? Nope. Wow. Because, I mean, we've had, again, we've had guests on here that have, you know, have subbed with, with certain orchestras, so they kind of got a feeling of that. They, they, you know, they had a little bit of an advantage um, in knowing kind of how this orchestra plays, but that's, so you had never had that before, huh? The most important thing, I think, is that I really loved the orchestra uh, as it was, and not just because it's in my hometown. I really love how it played. So I had listened to them growing up, and went to live concerts and listened to their recordings while I was in school before I knew there was going to be an audition. Um, so I think that was actually a huge thing. I was actually listening to them before I had any idea I'd be applying for a job with them. I remember your time when you were at New World, and I think you were preparing for this trial. You actually got together with, uh, with some of the, you asked some of the orchestra members, right? you asked some of the New World symphony members, and you, you I think what our, our conducting fellow put together an orchestra so you could play some through some of the excerpts in that right that's right i actually did that for seattle and then i did that for minnesota with the guest conductor that week joshua weilerstein who i still need to give him Josh, some sort of yeah a gift because uh he did that for you yeah he was conducting he's, the, he's the best the, he's so great yeah. he was and and it was like all this it was hard stuff and like also the orchestra the, the fellows were yeah. so great to stay and so i you know I think I could only afford a half keg that time, but the next time I see them... <laughs> hey, but at least you got them something. So that's, yeah, that's cool. That's cool that you did that. I'd like to say that like, that's sort of part of preparing is like kind of going over the top. And that is certainly something that's over the top. Getting an orchestra together yeah. to read through some excerpts. That's the sort of thing I was very willing to do. And uh, I think it's interesting for listeners who are taking auditions to know that you have to do crazy things, things that that maybe nobody's done before. No, there's no precedent for. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't know of anyone who actually, who's actually done that. Who's told an entire orchestra, "Let's get together and read through these excerpts," because I didn't want to leave any stone unturned, and I, I just took it that seriously. So I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that uh, you need to do crazy stuff if you want to be thorough. Those yeah. are the steps you have to take. It goes to show how dedicated. You were, but I also think it goes to show how dedicated the New World Symphony musicians are in, in how they all are kind of, I mean, it's such a great, it is a bubble in a sense that, you know, everybody being in this, and the, the, the support that people have in order to help out a colleague um, to win a job. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You know, it's, I, I went from Indiana University, which is a huge music school, and, and also uh, like just has a great community because there's it's so hard <laughs> to get through school there um and so and then and new world was even a stronger community mm-hmm. you know it could be dark at times there's oh you're being overworked or there's too many auditions you have too many things going on finances and all that right. but my god it was absolutely necessary to have such great community with administration too i mean like it was just every aspect of the organization is meant for support and i I absolutely couldn't have done it without that support sometimes. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it, the support is there, but, but it's the individual that, uh, that takes it to the next level. So congratulations on, on your win. I do have a lot of questions uh, for you, but I, I kind of want to save them for another time <laughs> because <laughs> I think I want to end on this because it's so motivating. It's really great to hear, um, you know, kind of 
you know, what yeah. you've done, what you overcame, just the fact that, that, um, you know, you, you went through all these, these trials and not, not just trials, like orchestra trials, but trials and tribulations of, of like falling down, getting pushed down and getting back up. We've talked to other people about, about just getting back up. And every time you get back up, you give yourself another chance. You give yourself another shot and who knows what that next shot will lead and look where it led you. Incredible story, man. It's really great. Like, I love to hear it, but my heart goes out to the other people too that are yeah. waiting for for that chance too. Like the ones that had the thrill early in the process, the three that got offered the trial and then they- They're doing all right. Yeah, probably. But yeah, what a great story. Very motivating. And we'll have to- talk about the next time you're on you have a couple of other south florida ties with some south florida legends that's Tafoya right. and uh, shannon <laughs> yep that's pretty awesome Love those guys <laughs> the other three that were on on trial they they actually are they've am, am i wrong by saying that they have they they have jobs now yes all three uh, of them right all three of them um yeah so they're all doing fine and like they they all can win any audition exactly basically. Yeah. so uh it's it's just a matter of who plays better it's, that day or whatever well it's whatever. and it could be style it could be anything i mean again i know Certainly. the three of them i know that they're all great and um they had jobs to begin with right and they were or anyway mm -hmm. it doesn't matter we won't we're not talking about them and you would have been in that top three get in the trial if you wouldn't have listened to that yeah. damn recording so you deserve to be <laughs> there anyway. was just lazy and didn't want to give a fourth trial I think right. that's all it was. Yeah. You know, I, being too studently is, it can be a, an error too. Um, so eventually you have to break out of your mold. I think we're, we're all too conscious of lineage and traditions, techniques. It's just a part of the process. Mm -hmm. I think that there needs to be a bit more expanding so you can express yourself without being a clown. <laughs> clown is a word that's been used a bit, uh, uh, for some colleagues uh, I've met in the recent past, but um, but basically there there has to be sort of more allowing of individual personality, mm -hmm. more creative ways to express throughout this medium that's very strict and disciplined. I, I I just yeah I think that's an important thing for taking auditions actually. Yeah, I mean you yes, like you said, you want to pique someone's interest, right? That's behind a screen that they can't see you. They you know they're they're listening to you play. But of course, you're, you're not going to be like a clown. You're not going to be over the top. You're not going to be so so dramatic. So you have to find that that kind of happy medium, that 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 place where you can you can shine, you can be yourself, you can express yourself, but yet still be within within the confines of of what uh, is quote unquote acceptable. Like, look it's at me. Like, I am like I you. am barely on the confines of what is acceptable. <laughs> you're not even close to the confines of what's acceptable. <laughs> JT, I'm I'm sorry you're out, actually. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah. I am a clown. <laughs> you're a clown. I, I, I'm laughing on the outside, crying on the inside. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a clown, you know? I'm, I'm just a very serious artist. You are. You are. All right, Eric, listen, thank you so much for being on here. And thanks for sharing this story. I mean, it really is great. I definitely hope it gives people, you know, some inspiration um, and some, you know, like I said, just that desire to just get back up. I know a lot of our listeners are uh, are, are going through the audition process and, um, and looking for answers. And I think you've given them some. So thank you for being on here. Well, th thanks for having me, JT. And I, I got to think, yeah, it's not the Academy Awards or anything, but I like to thank, you know, the, the Academy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, 
it's it's important to have the support system so i appreciate yeah you know, yeah yeah for sure everything all right eric thanks again man thanks everyone for listening to behind the screen we're so uh we're so happy to be doing this um we hope that uh that you keep listening and um we'll see you next time Thank you.